We're going to continue in our series on David. We're going to be there for quite a little while. You know, I think it would take years um, to fully cover each of the interesting stories described for us in the Old Testament 66 chapter biography of David's life. There's just so much there. But today, I just want us to consider the life lessons of David in 1 Samuel 22 while living in the cave of Adullam. You know, but to understand um, really how David got to life in a cave, we must kind of, we got to back up a little bit and take a look at the five to ten years or five to ten year period of David's life that's described for us in the beginning of 1 Samuel um, 18. So we've got to back up just a little bit. So some backstory to get us to where we want to start off here. Now, as you remember, um, we talked about where David had killed the giant last week. Well, the moment that David cut off the head of Goliath, his life changed forever. Everything was different for David after that. And his incredible rise you know, to the pinnacle of, of human success and achievement must have made his head spin. Now, you can just imagine this poor shepherd boy, um, after he did such a great feat there, how all this is just going to his head. Overnight, David, the poor, humble shepherd boy, literally became David, the man who has everything. I want to consider this morning some of the things that David acquired in his new life. And we'll just jump right in. First of all, David got a new best friend out of all of this. And folks, this was a, a friend in high places here. Well, see, immediately after David killed Goliath, Saul honored David in a special audience. In 1 Samuel 18 verse 1, it says, After David had finished um, talking with Saul, Jonathan, now Jonathan, just a little side story on him, he was Saul's oldest son. He was heir to the throne. He was young noble man who was also a courageous war hero. So you know who we're talking about here. Jonathan became in, um, in spirit, one in spirit with David. And he loved him as he loved himself. And then we go down to verse 4. Jonathan took off the robe that he was wearing and gave it to David along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow, and belt. Now the commentator that I was reading, Merrill Unger, he was explaining the significance of these gifts. And here's what he wrote. He said, clothing possessed something of the wearer's personality. And to receive any part of the dress that had been worn by a sovereign or his oldest son and heir was deemed the highest honor that could be conferred on a subject. Jonathan, the king's son, gave all the material gifts. David, the poor man's son, could only give his un undying love and respect. That's all he had. Remember who David was. Now, Jonathan, he would be to David the most faithful, loyal, friend that any man has ever known. Something we need to pick up on there. In fact, later in life, he risked his own life to help David escape his father's plot to kill him. I would say that's a pretty good friend there. Later, he would humbly acknowledge that David 
was God's anointed to be the next king, not himself. He admitted that right up front. And Jonathan, he would pledge his, his, himself, his loyalty to be the faithful servant of, of David's house and God's purpose there. And I think most of us would consider our life a great and sweet success if we had a friend so faithful as Jonathan. All of us would feel good about that. Secondly, um, David got a new home in 1 Samuel 18 and verse 2. From that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return to his father's house. Literally, David moved from the pasture to the palace. Literally. David moved from rags to riches. You know, and now instead of being a servant, he commanded servants. Can you see this, this quick rise to fame? And all this is just going to his, to his head here. Third, David got a new career. In addition to his duties as a king's therapeutic court harpist here, Saul began sending David on special military missions. Well, in no time at all, David had become the boy wonder general of the Israeli army. Verse 5, whatever Saul sent him to do, David did it so successfully that Saul gave him a high rank in the army. And this pleased all the people, Saul's officers as well. Then look at verse 13. So he sent David away from him and gave him command over a thousand men. And David led the troops in their campaigns. In everything he did, he had great success because the Lord was with him. Fourth thing, um, his personal charisma and his, his successful career soon brought David great fame and popularity. You can imagine how popular he was um, doing the things he was doing. Now, we've already seen how the soldiers and the officers and the enlisted men, we've already seen how they loved David. But verse 16 says that the people also loved David. In other words, he was their national hero. David had rose to this fame. He was the man of the hour. However, his popularity soon became the root of all of his problems. Look at verse 6 through 9. When the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistines, the, woman came, or the women came out from the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing with joyful songs and with tambourines and lutes. As they danced, they sang, Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. And verse 8 says, Saul was very angry. This refrain galled him. Saul was getting jealous, you can see. In verse 9 it says, From that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. So you can see their relationship, was. there was a wedge being driven between them because of David's popularity. Well, finally, David got a new wife. You know, after killing Goliath, David was offered Saul's oldest daughter in marriage. Remember we talked last week, this was kind of one of the uh, incentive plans that uh, Saul was using to get someone to kill David and offering his daughter was one of them. But David, he politely, he just avoided that by saying he just wasn't worthy, you know, to be the king's son-in-law. But then in, in verse 20, of chapter 18, Saul found out that his younger daughter, Micah, 
was deeply in love with David, and apparently David was very interested in her as well. Well, Saul, his scheming mind here, he's still skeptical of David and don't want David around anymore. So his scheming mind, he plotted to use Michael to kill David. So he sent word that he would be well pleased to have David as a son-in-law and that he would only ask by way of a dowry was a hundred Philistine foreskins. Now just follow that away. You know, we're going to come up to that later. Here's what Saul was thinking. Saul was thinking if David goes out and he starts killing and mutilating the genitals of the Philistine soldiers, the Philistines aren't going to like it at all. You think? You know, well, no doubt. You know, they made it their first priority to hunt David down and kill him. So Saul's plan, that was his plan. That was what he was wanting to do. Well, as you can imagine... Um, Saul was super shocked when David arrived in the palace and counted out in front of him 200 Philistine foreskins. Now, from everything we know here, David and Michael um, were, at least at the beginning of their marriage, they were just deliriously happy with each other. So now here's the story. David, he's got a, a new best friend. He's got a new home. He's got a, a new fast-track career, um, great fame and popularity, and a beautiful and loving wife. Things were going pretty well for David. David was in high cotton, so to speak. David had become the man who had everything. You know, what more could, could he want? But you know, life is a roller coaster. And just like Job, even faster than he had acquired it all. David became the man who lost it all. You know, well, because of time this morning, we're not going to go into all the details and the dreadful events that occurred in David's life. And you can read them in, in chapters 19, 20, and 21. You know, sometime if you want to do that. Well, finally, because of Saul's jealousy and insecurity, David had to run for his life. You know, David's life was in jeopardy. Well, and because his life was in jeopardy, he lost not the love, but he lost the presence of his best friend. That's one thing he lost. Second thing he lost, he lost his home with, with all the perks and the luxuries, you know, of living in the palace. Third thing he lost was his career. You know, the army that David once commanded was now ordered by Saul to hunt him down and kill him. And the fourth thing, he lost at least all public expression of his popularity. You know, there's no doubt propaganda and lies were, were spread about him. Now, understand this. Now, David's wife, Micah, like her brother Jonathan, they betrayed their own father to help David escape an assassination plot. Um, that's how much that they cared about David. But in doing so, we come up with number five. David lost his wife. You know, even though she was still married to David, get this, Saul gave, um, gave her to be the wife of another man. Uh, so years later, though David, he forced her to come back to him. But folks, the relationship was never the same after that. But that's not all that David lost. In chapter 19, we see that David fled from Saul 
to be with his old mentor and friend, the prophet Samuel, the one that went in and picked him out, that identified him as being the next, next king. But soon, David realized that his mere presence um, had placed Samuel's life at risk, so he had to keep moving on. And thus, number six, he lost his mentor. He lost forever his mentor. A few chapters later, we see that Samuel died. But David, still on the run, he couldn't even attend the funeral there. Well, for several months, David, he just ran amok here and there. And without his position and without of any of the people that he had come to lean on, David made a series of very bad mistakes, which caused him to lose everything that he had left. David was sinking quick. And number seven, in, in chapter 21, verses one through nine, at a place called Nob, David lost his integrity there. See, for the first time in David's life, David failed to inquire of the Lord. The very first time, and he lost that. All alone, with no food, with no weapon, David told a series of lies to the priest of Nob and to one of King Saul's servants there. And these lies basically allowed him to attain some bread and a weapon, the sword of Goliath. But David's lies, uh, his lies would soon cost the priests their lives as Saul was angry at all this and he had slaughtered every man, every woman, every child in the beast in the town of Nob when he discovered that they had inadvertently helped David. So you see, David's life, or his lies to save his own life, was paid for in blood by the priests of Nob and their families. So the lies that David used to, to save his own life cost many other lives. Well, we're not quite done with point two. Yet finally, number eight, in chapter 21, at Gath, David lost his dignity. He lost his dignity there. In a total panic and really just genuine stupidity, David ran for his life to all places, the Philistine capital of Gath. Now, how dumb was that? Listen, when you wander far enough away from God, you quit thinking straight. And that's what was going on. Um, well, of course, Somebody there thought they recognized him. And what do you suppose the Philistines would like to do to the slayer of their champion, Goliath? <laughs> you know, the, 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 the man of whom the women sang, he has killed his tens of thousands. And the man who mutilated the dead bodies of 200 um, of their men there. What do you think the Philistines would want to do with him? Well, 1 Samuel 21 and verse 13, uh, or, or just before that, it said that David was scared to death. Well, I can imagine, because you know what David was thinking, what these guys wanted to do with him when someone pointed him out. You know, David, he pretended insanity until he could escape. And in, in chapter 21 and verse 13, while he was in their hands, he acted like a madman making marks on the doors of the gate and, and letting saliva run down his beard. Now, that's just not a very pretty picture, is it, of a man that we call our hero. I mean, how low can you go 
there. You know, it kind of takes our hero, David, and it pulls him down to where you want to just kind of gag. Now we come to 1 Samuel chapter 22 and verse 1. David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adullam. Adullam. And he ran to a dark, a musty, it was lonely, isolated, rough, a rocky place, kind of high in the cliffs of the the Judean wilderness there. And there he sat all alone with nothing left. How the mighty have fallen. You know, there David became a caveman, basically. Now, we don't have to guess how he felt sitting alone in that cave. Because while he was in that cave, David wrote three psalms. Don't lose your place here, but think about it. Let's go over and look at the first psalm in in, uh, Psalms 142. The first four verses say this. I cry aloud to the Lord. I lift up my voice to the Lord for mercy. I pour out my complaint before him. Before him, I tell my trouble. When my spirit grows faint within me, it is you who know my way. In the path where I walk, men have hidden a snare for me. Look to my right and see no one is concerned for me. I have no refuge. No one cares for my life. You're talking about a man having a pity party here. He's having a pity party. Dave the caveman lost it all here. He had nowhere to look but up. He has no one to turn to but God. And folks, that's exactly what he did. I mean, this story is all gloom at this point, but now it's fixing to get better. Look at verses five through seven. I cry to you, O Lord. I say you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. You see, God was absolutely all David had left here. Verse six. Listen to my cry, for I am in desperate need. Rescue me from those who pursue me, for they are too strong for me. Set me free from my prison, that I may praise your name. Then the righteous will gather about me because of your goodness to me. Finally, through his prayer and his praise, David begins to remember what his purpose is. His purpose was to be God's servant and to be God's witness. And through his prayers, something began to just happen inside of David. His mourning and and his lament began to turn into confidence and praise. So he wrote a second psalm, Psalm 57. Now, if you can picture David here as he sits on the cliff, just gazing into the heavens just before dawn. You know, the music he wrote may not be around anymore, but listen to these ancient words here. Have mercy on me, O God. Have mercy on me. For in you my soul takes refuge. I take refuge in the shadow of your wings until the disaster has passed. I cry out to God, um, to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. Can you see David's sense of growing faith here? Can you see him coming back to where he needed to be? Well, starting with verse 3, you know, he sends from heaven and he saves me, rebuking those who hotly pursue me. God sends his love and faithfulness. I am in the midst of lions. I lie among ravenous beasts, men whose teeth are, are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp as swords. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be 
over all the earth. They spread a net for my feet. I bow down in distress. They dug a pit in my path, but they have fallen into it themselves. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make music. Awake, my soul, awake, harp and lyre. I will waken the dawn. I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations. I will sing of you among the peoples. For great is your love reaching to the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be above all the earth. Now, as soon, what we see here, as soon as David began looking to the Lord, God started sending help. In fact, first of all, in, in Samuel 22 and, and verse 1, it says, when his brothers and his father's household heard about it, they went down, uh, they went down to him there. Now, if you remember last week, we talked about, you know, David's years, they had not been, there wasn't a great relationship with his family. He was having a problem there. His father was the one that excluded him from the party the day Samuel came. And his older brother, Eliab, you know, he had been so critical of him the day he killed Goliath. So he didn't have a good relationship with his family. You know, my suspicion is that during his life in the palace, David had just ignored them. I don't know that. The Bible don't say. That's just supposition here. Perhaps his attitude might have been, hey, you know, they didn't want to be around me when I was a nobody. And now that I'm somebody, I really don't need them. I don't know what his mind was, but that would have been easy to think about. Well, we don't know exactly how long David was in that cave alone. We don't know that. But as soon as his family found out, they came to him, and through this horrible trial that he was going through, <laughs> Those relationships were maybe, for the very first time, maybe they were made right. At least they wanted to come to him. Then verse 2 says this, All those who were in distress or in doubt or disconnected gathered around him and, became, and he became their leader. In other words, these disenfranchised vagabonds here who came to David would soon be transformed into David's mighty men. They would soon become a mighty army. They would be an army of, uh, of special forces. You know, men committed to follow David anywhere that he went. And in verse 3, David, you see that he arranges for his mother and father to escape safely. In verse 20, a man named, by the name of Abiathar, who was, had escaped the massacre at Nob, he arrived and told David all that had happened because of David's lies there. And look at David's response in verse 22 and 23. David said to Abiathar, That day when Doeg the Edomite was there, I knew he would be sure to tell Saul, I am responsible for the death of your father's whole family. Stay with me. Don't be afraid. The man who is seeking your life is seeking mine too. You will be safe with me. Now, as we move along into chapter 23, David um, word came that the Philistines were looting the Israel town of Kiwa. So in verse 2, here's what happens. David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go and attack the Philistines? And the Lord answered him, Go attack the Philistines and save Kiwa. Now David, he obeyed, and the Lord, he gave him another great victory there. 
Then David and his men, who now probably numbered in around 600, became kind of like the uh, Robin Hood and his merry men, so to speak. And for the next several years, King Saul chased David and his men around the countryside. Meanwhile, David, the fugitive, he was performing kingly duties of serving God's purposes and protecting God's people from their enemies. Now, that's kind of that story there, you know, and I kind of, I know I ran through it pretty fast, but you've got notes there and you can follow. Well, here's the application. Here's the point we want to make. Here's what we want to dig out of this and take home with us. This is what we want to wear here. David did three things to first get his spirit and then his body out of the cave. He did three things. And those three things are the exact same three things that we need to do whenever we find in ourselves living as a caveman. When we get to that point, like David, we must look up. We must look up. You know, like David, we must learn to, to cry out to our God in our distress, to tell Him our troubles, to, um, to look to Him as our only refuge and accept Him as our only portion in life. Just like David, we must learn how to give thanks and to trust and to worship God even in the midst of our trials. No matter how bad they get, we need to do that. We need to learn to look up. And number two, like David, we must come clean. You know, David's run from Saul and his run from the Lord and his failure to seek God's ways in the midst of his troubles, in the midst of his sin and his lies at Nob, um, uh, it hurt a lot of people. In other words, David was hurting more than himself. Sometimes we say that, you know, we, when we sin, we sin to ourselves. We don't. When we sin, it affects other people. And it affects the people that love us and care for us and take care of us. You see. So, we need to come clean. But don't you love the way here that David came clean? He didn't rationalize his mistakes. Well, you know, I was under a lot of pressure. He didn't do that. He didn't just justify his actions saying, well, you know, there were special circumstances there. He didn't do that either. And he didn't blame God. He didn't say, well, the Lord put me in this position where I had no options. No, he didn't do any of that. David said, I am responsible. I blew it. It's my fault. And I can't undo the, uh, the past mistakes that I've made, but I can do the right thing today. And folks, taking responsibility for our choices and our actions, even those made under severe distress, is always an essential step for healing and restoration. Always. You see, we cannot be forgiven until we confess our sin. We cannot be found until we admit that we're lost, you see. Folks, bad choices like abortion or divorce or lying or cheating or stealing, you know, they can send you into a deep cave. But the Lord will meet you there if we'll just, if we'll look up to Him. You see, the, and if we come clean, if we admit Confess our sins there. You know, He'll forgive. He'll cleanse. He'll restore us. However, we need to look up. 
We need to come clean. And number three, like David, we too must stand tall. We must stand tall. You know, right with God surrounded and supported by family and friends, David recovered his dignity there. You know, he, he resumed his God-given role as a leader of men. And he began, he began to act like a king again, the king that he was called to be. As I was working on, on this message, I couldn't help but think of all the dark caves that some of us has been in. And some of you have been in some dark caves. I've been in some dark caves. You know, and I just know, like David, you know, is wondering, how in the world did I get here? And maybe you're wondering the same thing. You know, I feel like I've lost everything. And it all happened just, just so fast. What do we do with that? You know, where do we go when our maid is talking separation or divorce? Where do we go? You know, what do you do when your daughter had run away four times and this time you think maybe she's pregnant? What do you do? How about when you've lost your job and you know it was your fault? Or what if you've blown it financially and, and you just buried your family and, and your future in a mountain of debt? You know, where do you go if your parents are alcoholic? Who do you turn to when you find out your wife or your husband is having an affair? What do you do when you flunk the entrance exam? Or what do you do when you messed up the interview? Who do you run to when you're going to jail because you've broken the law? Folks, listen to me carefully. The wisdom of the ancient words here. Folks, if you're living in a cave, look up, come clean, and stand tall. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, again, we're just so grateful for your word and the wonderful history that we have to look back on to see how we should act and examples of how it can be done. We're so grateful for that. Father, we just give you thanks for giving us a mind that we can think. And Father, we help, hope that you will help clear our minds so that we think in a way that's pleasing to you. In Jesus' name.